0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. <clears throat> Sorry, take a moment and uh, grab a seat. We're going to pray again together. Uh, P- Paul in the book of Romans outlines, I mean, just this powerful argument of God's work in the world and how he has pursued us and then how his mercy has come toward us, how this amazing incredible, overwhelming, at times, seemingly reckless love comes flooding our way. And then um, at the kind of the end of that big chunk, 11 chapters of that, he says in chapter 12, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. This is the only logical response to what we've just talked about. And then he kind of outlays what some of that looks like. He comes down to chapter 12, verse 15, and this is what he says. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, we've had a week where we've needed to do both. In the room right now, 50 years of marriage. Rejoicing, rejoicing, right? That's worth rejoicing. And goodness, we've had reason to weep. we've had reason to weep, evil, cowardice. So what I'd like to do is just take a moment and pray. And if you've got joy in you that you want to pour out to God, let's do it. It's right. And we as collectively will rejoice with you. And for some, man, what we're offering today is weeping. We'll offer that too. It's right. So let's pray together. And then we'll open God's word. Um, Father, we're here collectively as a church family before you. The the access that we have to you comes only through Jesus. And so we we celebrate. We rally around people rejoicing. Grateful for people who have stuck with one another for decades upon decades upon decades. That's so good. It's worth rejoicing. Grateful that there have been other moments where we have stepped forward um, into things that are right and good and joyful. And we come heavy today weeping with those who are weeping. Recognizing right now, I mean, right in this very second, There are people gathered at churches in Uvalde that are just barely breathing because of the grief that's overwhelming them. Our confession, Lord, is that you have equipped the church uniquely. In moments moments like this, you've given the church to the world for moments just like this. So we pray that the people of God would rally around those hurting, rally around those grieving, rally around those with all the questions and all the anger and all the grief and all the frustration and all the, oh, all of those things. Let the church rally around them and point to hope, point to hope. Even as they shed their own tears and weep alongside those who, who would be able to point to hope. For all, um, for all that is in the world that is not right. God, we, your people, long for the day when you make it right. And so, um, God, we give all of this to you. Trust you now to go about the work in us. that will need to uh, then be worked out of us. Please do that for Jesus' sake. As we sang just a moment ago, please build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Our world, our streets, our land, they certainly need healing. So bring that to bear now in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Thank you, thank you. There it is. I was turned around there. Hey, if you have a Bible this morning, you can grab it and open to the book of Amos. Amos is in the Old Testament. It's one of the prophets in the Old Testament there. Um, you feel free to uh, grab that and, and um, turn to the book of Amos. Today we're going to be in Amos chapter 3. If you are not, excuse me, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, one that you want to put in your lap, you can borrow one. It's on the sides of the tech booth back there. Uh, feel free to do so. If uh, you're a user of the Bible app... Uh, feel free to open that app and track along with our live event and all, um, you can find scriptures and sermon notes and, and other important information there uh, boy what a week huh um, I, this is I, I'm fumbling here on just like I struggle with God is this is this this is what we had scheduled is this what you want to say and I think it is, and here's why. Uh, the universe in which we live folks is a moral place it has a moral order this this world this this creation there is right and there is wrong i mean there just is and there is good and there is evil and there is light and there is darkness the universe is a moral place not only and and, and man we got some smart people in here who have done Things and come to understand things about the universe and how it works and that kind of thing. Not only is there a physical um, ordering of the universe, gravity works at a certain constant. Um, uh, There there are other things that are, you know, kind of in play. Not only is there a physical order to this universe, there is a moral order as well. And so I I think the Lord wants to speak to us. Amos chapter 3 is not any fun. It's just not. Last week, I kind of jokingly said there would be moments in Amos where we say, "Amen," and then there are moments where we'll say, "Nope, don't like that." This is mostly don't like that. Uh, but as as with um, as with every time God speaks, there's always hope, and that's that's where we'll ultimately we uh, want to go. It, it is right because of we, we. It is right because we live in this moral universe to feel hurt and anger and frustration this week. It's right. Um, And those who can't, those are the ones we need to worry about the most. So uh, Amos chapter 3, let's get started. Uh, In the first couple of verses, we'll read a few verses and then stop, read a few verses and stop, work our way through here. Uh, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Just those two verses to start with. Let's put ourselves back in the context of Amos here. Amos is a prophet. He is speaking on behalf of God to the people of Israel. He's from the southern kingdom of Judah, and he's going to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom and he's doing so in the middle of the 8th century BC, 760 BC or so. And so about 40 years from when, um, when the Assyrians come and wipe out the northern kingdom. Okay, So he's saying, hey, y'all, get your stuff together because bad stuff is around the corner. Like You need to be warned about this. This is, this is the prophet Amos. And again, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities. There's kind of four statements. First one. Uh, Great privilege brings great responsibility. Spider-Man or any number of other places that's been quoted before. Uh, But great privilege brings great responsibility. There is tremendous privilege here. Uh, He he says, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They experienced this. The people of Israel experienced this. If you're not familiar with the Bible story, let's just back it up a little bit. Uh, The first book is Genesis, the story of how it all began. The second book is Exodus, the story of how God brought out of the earth, a people for himself. Um, there were uh, his people. They were in bondage, in slavery, in the land of Egypt. God, through an act of unbelievable power, destroyed uh, the, the kind of systems that were there, um, put them to shame, and he brought them out of the land of Egypt. God rescued them from slavery. He uh, rescued them from their bondage. He delivered them from the oppression and the ugliness and the chaos that was their world at the time. He brought them out of this. Um, and, and, and so with this amazing privilege, I mean, it literally brought them through the water. This is the story of the Red Sea, where he delivered them through this to defeat uh, his own enemies. Uh, with, with this story of amazing privilege... It's great responsibility. What are we uniquely responsible for? We're responsible for doing what we know. For for doing what we know to be true. So God brings them out. He delivers them out of Egypt. And then he gives them the law, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 so deliverance and then instruction this is kind of how that went so they were responsible not for their own deliverance but for following what god said is best for doing the things that god um, said is best to do and so uh, th- this is there's two kind of questions that flow out of this for me uh, uh, number one g- god's deliverance is it freedom or license is it freedom or license freedom being hey listen now I am free, free from the things uh, that were holding me back, free from the oppression, free from the slavery, free from the bondage, free from um, all the, the falsehoods and, and, and worldview that was imposed upon, him. I'm free from those things. Now, I can do exactly what I want to do. Well, if you want to do the right things, that's a pretty good day. But most of the time, at least for me, maybe I won't speak for you. But most of the time, for me, the things that I want to do aren't necessarily the right things. Anybody? The wanter that I have still needs some repair, some transformation of my wanting. And some people think this is exactly what God... Okay, God, thank you so much. You've forgiven me of my sins. Jesus died on the cross. I've been washed. I've been clean. Okay, now I can just do whatever the heck I want to right now. I'm just going to go on about my business doing the things that I want to do because I know that God will forgive me because I know that... Da, da, da. Listen, this is this is that for us to say, to reckon with that question. Is it freedom or is it license? License being, oh, I'll just do whatever I want. God is inviting us to freedom. He's delivered us Out of something, but listen, he's also delivering us to something. He's delivering us from Egypt, but he's delivering us to the promised land. He's delivering us from bondage and slavery, and he's delivering us to a different kind of life. He brings them out of Egypt and then gives them the Ten Commandments, the way to live. From and to. The way that you know if it's freedom or license, license just focuses on the from. Freedom focuses on the two. Oh God, we're so grateful to be out of that place, but man, you've got a life out here for us that we want to embrace and, and we want to live and we want to live in. So, so let me just give you three kind of areas to just ponder, put it in your brain. These are not the only three, please hear me. These are not the only three, but, but these are three that came to mind as I was thinking about us. You're delivered from slavery, bondage, sin, and you're delivered to, in part, prayer. You're delivered to prayer. The way that we communicate with God, the way that we are with God, is in prayer. The the very life breath of the Christian, the person who has committed his or her life to following Jesus, is prayer. And the promises in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. As God lays them out, as he sets them out, those promises specifically about prayer are invitation to even more prayer. I mean, he says crazy stuff. You ask some stuff in my name? Hey, listen, I want to do what you are asking here when you ask in my name. When you come and you pray to me, I will hear you. I mean, the God of the universe hears us. And then I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. And on and on and on and on. I mean, there are promises all throughout this, this, uh, uh, this book right here. Um, there are promises that God gives us that we are delivered from this to this. And part of what we're delivered to is prayer. It's the very life breath of faith. In the, I mean, in the Christian life, it's the very life breath of that. So the question is how are you doing? You delivered to prayer okay here's another one. service I'm delivered from some things, but I'm delivered to in part service because there are people around me who need me to engage with them who need me to step out to to offer a, a service to offer a gift to offer something to to um, express the kingdom to them in some manner that I can help with there are people who that around me that's what they need some people think uh, this is an image that popped up this week and i just it's been stuck with me all week um, some people think that the christian life is like a telephone pole everybody can you get in your mind a telephone pole it's just basically straight up right little help here okay I'm working, people. Come on, help me. A telephone pole. It's just basically straight up, right? And that's how they view the Christian life. It's just just a vertical thing. But the Christian life is not a telephone pole. The symbol of the Christian life is what? A cross. I mean, we got it here. We got it there. Like, the symbol of the Christian life is a cross. There is a vertical aspect that is critical, but attached to it, it, inextricably linked to it, is also this horizontal piece that expresses itself in service to those who are around us. We minister, we give our lives away for the sake of God and for the sake of the kingdom because we want the kingdom to come and set down in somebody's life. When we prayed a while ago in that almost song of lament, normally it's an upbeat, happy song, that this is not that moment. God, build your kingdom here. Let the darkness here. Our streets and land, they need your healing power. If we're going to be a part of that, we give ourselves away to that. It's both. It's not one or the other. So we're delivered to prayer fr- from bondage. We're delivered out of our sin. And, stuff, and part of it is prayer. Part of it is service. And, and part of it, you're delivered to a community. How, how are, are you connected? Are there people in your life that make sure that you don't go through this thing alone? Are there people in your life, you've, you've connected yourself to a group, we call them around here, we call them circles. Are, are there people in your life that, that can look you in the eyeball and know if there's something wrong? To, to, to know, hey, I've seen your face before, but I've not seen it look like that. What's going on? You've got that one extra wrinkle thing. Why is that? Community. Are, are, are you, you've been delivered to a kind of rooted, connected life so that you don't have to go through this alone. Is it freedom... I'm delivered to something or is it license oh i'm delivered from something and god won't care all that much secondly um uh, under this thing here our relationship is it family or spoiled brat look at verse three uh you only uh, sorry verse two you only have i known of all the families of the earth so god is bringing them he's saying hey i'm gonna be a father to you i want to i want to uh, embrace you i want you know to, I want to wrap my. I want us to be family together. Um, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Here's the spoiled brat. Here's what it sounds like. Oh God, uh, you're, you're not going to do that to me. I know you wouldn't do that to me because, you know, like, I'm your favorite kid, right? So, again, nobody has that ever, right, in their lives. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and do this because I know God will forgive me. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do this because God's not going to. Listen, that that is. It's just simply. Not the case. Family means I am taking responsibility not only for my own life but for the people around me. And we are going to journey together to, uh, to, look, like, and to, uh, to look like Jesus and to express his kingdom here um, in our midst. With great privilege comes great responsibility. We live in a moral universe and that's a part of it. Secondly, verse 3. Do two walk together unless they've agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare um, on the earth when there's no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in the city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come upon the city unless the Lord has done it? Here's the second thing. Because we live in a moral universe, you need to know you reap what you sow. You do. You reap what you sow. And those first few verses there... Verses three down to six, those four verses there, um, that, that, is, that is a pointer to say, hey, this is not without cause. The things that are going to happen, the, the, the judgment that is going to come upon evil, um, in, in, indeed the evil in the midst, and in our midst and the evil in the land, this is not without cause. And the cause is on our side, it's not on God's side. It's not like God woke up one day and was like, "Ah, oh, those people finally, okay. <laughs> All right, God, if you just sit down and have a cup of coffee, maybe your life would be better. Have you eaten anything yet today? Did you remember your medicine? I mean, like, did you sleep last night? Are you doing okay? Can I rub your feet? Whatever, like you can't do, it wasn't as if God woke up and just got capricious someday. It was like, oh, fine, I'm taking them out today. No, there's cause. A lion roars in the forest, why? Because he has prey. A bird falls to the ground, why? Because he's in a snare. The trumpet's blown, why? Because there's danger. This has cause. It's not as if, it's not as if God's just doing this. And then secondly, verse seven, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Verse eight, the lion is roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? So this is also not without warning. Not only is it not without cause, it's also not without warning. God sent Amos to the people of Israel to do what? To tell them. Jonah went to Nineveh to tell them. I mean, all of these people, God sent, He spoke to them to tell them, this is what's coming. Like, you better be ready for the day of the Lord here because this is what is coming. It's what's coming. God spoke he warned, and still they did. So here's the here's the question. Uh, and and it, I mean, it's a fair question. Um, it, it goes something like this. Well, I, I mean, look, I appreciate the fact that you know you're trying to teach the Bible here. I get it. The Amos chapter three is particularly difficult, and um, I, you know the moral universe stuff. Like, I, but that's the God of the Old Testament. That guy was like a grumpy old man who was like, "Get off my lawn, all you people!" I mean, he's just kind of mean. Like he you know sat outside and he had a BB gun and he was shooting at the cats or what I mean, like you just have in your mind this picture of a God in the Old Testament who's just like, Rrr. That's not the God of the New Testament, God of the New Testament. He's all like love and baby Jesus, and I mean, like all this stuff, right? That's the God of the New Testament. So I'm going to turn here now to the New Testament and read this passage from Galatians chapter 6. Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, says this, chapter 6, verse 7, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. So just hold right there. So people who think that they're going to get away with it because of something or other, they're mocking God. One more time, if you think you're just going to get away with it, you're mocking God. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. This is the story that Amos is telling. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We read that in the New Testament. So it's not as if God is having a bad day, and it's not as if it's just the God of the Old Testament getting cranky on people. This is the God of the universe. That's who we're talking about. This is the God of the Bible. The God of the Old Testament is the same God who shows up in the New Testament. So I'm saying that to say this is not without cause, and it's not without warning. You do reap what you sow. The the next move that Amos makes, um, he starts painting a picture. We'll read it here in just a second. But he starts painting a picture of a courtroom. Uh, we we have a lot of televised court cases these days. You notice these things? And people, you know, make fun of them and they YouTube them and all this kind of stuff. Like we have a lot of televised court cases these days, I guess, because, you know, we're all bored out of our minds. I don't don't really know why people do this, but nonetheless, we have a lot of, we get a moment here where we're looking in on kind of this court case. And, And the case you need to know is airtight. And so he starts in verse nine. Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod. Just pause here. Ashdod is one of the places in chapter 1 where uh, he he says, man, they're going to get it. They they will be judged here. Proclaim the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt, those who have already experienced judgment. And say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. So the court case is airtight. Where does this court case start in particular? This court case starts with witnesses that have been called. He calls the witnesses. Hey, get Ashdod over here. They have seen this. They know what's coming. And they see what's going on inside. They've dealt with you. They understand what's going on. Get Egypt. They have seen my power. They have seen me do things uh, that cannot be explained. And they see the problems that are inside of you. The witnesses, uh, verse 9, witnesses have uh, been called. Verse 10. Here's the evidence that gets presented. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. You ought to be storing up provisions, water, grain, in your strongholds. Instead, you're storing up robbery and violence. So evidence has been presented. Your Honor, I'd like to submit this particular thing as evidence for the prosecution. Okay, accepted. Here it is. They don't know how to do right. They store up robbery and they store up violence. Verse 11, therefore says the Lord God, once you get get witnesses, once you get evidence, what happens next? Judgment. Judgment gets rendered. Therefore, says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. And this is what happened, as I said, about four years later, the empire of Assyria comes in, wipes out uh, the, the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel. This is exactly what happened. Judgment has been rendered. The gavel has fallen. It has been pronounced. Boom. Judgment has been rendered. Now, Again, you've seen this before because we televised court cases. You certainly have heard of it before. Um, People then at that point lash out at the judge, right? They're like, ah, you're in there, right? Here's what you need to know. The judge, God in this case, is innocent here. Verse 12, thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. So God's innocent. Wait a minute that doesn 't make much sense it doesn't unless you remember unless you remember exodus chapter twenty two verse thirteen okay jimmy 's over here he 's a shepherd let's let 's pretend Jimmy 's a shepherd over here um, if i 'm the owner of the sheep and Jimmy 's watching over the sheep uh, and a lion comes along and eats one of the sheep that is mine but Jimmy 's watching over Jimmy has to chase the lion down as a shepherd, and he 's got to get bits and pieces he 's got to pick up an ear and a leg and a rib and go, Hey, look, the lion did this to the sheep. It wasn't me. I didn't steal it. And therefore the shepherd is innocent. Does that make sense to everybody? For those of you watching online, does that make sense? Oh, thank you so much. I hear you from home. I appreciate that. You get it. Okay. So this is where we are. This is why God says in verse 12, um, uh, the, the rescues from the mouth of the lion, two legs, a piece of an ear and so forth. He's saying, Hey, look, I'm not just doing this. Like, I'm innocent on this deal. My hands are clean. That's what he's saying. God is innocent. You can lob every accusation you want to his way. But the reality is the court case is airtight. And it's not God who is the guilty one. We the people, we are the guilty ones. God's innocent. And again, people come along. And I just, man, I hear it. And they say, well, listen, man, God's kind of rough here. But the God of the New Testament, he's much nicer than this. I point you forward to Acts chapter 5, one of the early gatherings in the church. Ananias, Sapphira, they come in, they lie to God. And God strikes them dead. That's an interesting Sunday at the church house, isn't it? The court case is airtight. Okay, but but here's where I want to end. There is hope today. Amos 3 is terrifying. And it's very difficult. But there's hope. But only one hope. Only one. You, You don't get multiple hopes here. You get one. Verse 13, hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his um, his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. Bethel was a place where they had set up their own temple so they could make their own sacrifices in their own way, in their own moment to do this, okay? There is hope, but listen, it's not in a false God and it's not in some impotent, powerless messiah. We have plenty of options on that front. False gods and powerless messiahs. This is not that. This week proves this. For us to put hope in a false God or powerless Messiah is to to render ourselves um, unable to respond to the reality that happens in front of us, unable to live in this moral universe. Folks, we can't legislate this stuff away. We can't moralize this stuff away. Are there laws that need to be passed? Yes. Are there morals that need to be dealt with? Yes. But listen, the the issue at the core of the issue is not who's in Washington, who's in Austin, who's here. Those are not core issues. What's core issue, just as a reminder for us this week, what's a core issue is that this is a spiritual problem. We need Jesus to come and heal our streets and heal our land. The problem is a spiritual problem at its core. It's not without relational consequences, not without implications. All of that's 100% True. But these are spiritual problems. And so for us to put our hope in a false God or a powerless Messiah is to set ourselves up to not be able to deal with what actually needs to be dealt with. We face some complex problems, folks. And they will require a a multitude of actions in order to, to reckon with them. But what's the starting point is the spiritual problem. The other place where we are prone to run, verse 15, I will strike the winter house along with the summer house and the houses of ivory shall perish. The great houses shall come to an end, says the Lord. Not in our financial security. Winter houses, summer houses, your house, vacation house. Not in financial security. There's hope, but not in financial security. Anybody looked at their retirement statement lately? stock market looks like a double black diamond straight downhill only bumps there's no hope in financial security for those of us in suburbia this is, this is what we need to remind ourselves of, we cannot find shelter in safer neighborhoods or smaller towns there's no hope and our financial security. Where then is hope? We typically run into one of those two. Where then is hope? God, why Amos 3? God tells us these things. That we, reminding us that we live in a moral universe and God will not tolerate evil forever that's news for us it's important for us to remember that why because it's through that that god ultimately helps us to get to hope god tells us these things so that we will have ultimate hope there are things that are written here in the bible things that are written in the old testament that sound really terrible really awful but the story that gets told in that is so that we will ultimately. Turn aside from all the things that would want our attention, would want our allegiance, would want all of that. Turn aside from those things and turn to God. Just as we've been delivered out of something and to something, so we turn aside from some things and turn to God. That's the story that God wants to tell. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It's going to pop up on the screen. Look here. For whatever was written in former days, like Amos chapter 3, Whatever was written in former days was written, why? For our instruction. That through endurance, us staying with it, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. We might have hope. We stand today... On this, like you want to find footing today, solid ground today. We stand today on this, that God will not tolerate evil forever. He just doesn't. And we today also can be part of the solution. I said this in our midweek memo this week, and I just I want to point back to it here. Boy, I mean, with all the things that have unfolded, how do we take hope in telling of stories like this and processing news of this week? Here, here's where I'm standing today. This is my spot, First John 3, verse 8. Here's what it says. The reason the Son of God, that's Jesus, the reason the Son of God came was to do what? Was to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Church family, we live in a moral universe. We need to look at what happened and say, that's demonic. That's evil. That's, I mean, yes, it's horrific and it's catastrophic and it's so incredibly sad. But the root of that, it is demonic. It's, I mean, that is a, a force of darkness unleashed in a physical way. And so we say, Jesus, please come destroy the works of the devil. In the places where we go, in the places where we are, in the places where you let us participate with you, please push back the darkness, bring light. Push back the evil, bring goodness. Push back all the lies and s- let the truth reign. The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. This is the place where I'm standing. And we as a church family get to participate in that. We we get to step out into offices and into neighborhoods and into conversations and, and around soccer fields and, and baseball fields and stands where we've been sitting in our bleachers or you know like all of that. We get to step into those places and declare that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And maybe that needs to start in your own life. Maybe you've got darkness there that hardness there S- something is stuck inside of you, and you need him to destroy something like in you. The-, the work of Jesus needs to be here first i've got great news there's mercy for you when you turn to him. there is mercy. For you. Oh, well, but my stuff, man, dude, it's dark. There's mercy for that. Uh, my stuff, it's really, really bad. There's mercy for you. You do not have a sin. You do not have a sin that is greater than the mercy of Jesus. You don't. So if you need him to do a work in you, that's a good, that's a good prayer to pray, Jesus. Jesus, do your work. For some of us, though, the the work that needs to be done is a work that is done through us. We're not only brought out of something, we're delivered to something, delivered from, delivered to something. And so we need to be ready to step out and, and be light where there's darkness and be good where there's evil and speak truth where lies are existing. We need to be a part in that way. And so the invitation now is for you just to take a moment and process, let it sink in on you? What would it look like for you, for Jesus to do his work here in you? There'll be a couple of questions just to ponder. Um, if you want to take a picture and look at them later, if you just want to ponder them right now, just give you a moment to process this. This is a no pressure kind of situation, y'all. But, but I do know this the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil, and he wants to do it. So we'll give you a moment here, and then I'm going to lead a prayer, and Josh is going to come up and lead a song about the unbelievable mercy of God that we can rejoice in, celebrate, rest in all of these. Let me offer a prayer. You take a moment just to kind of sit with it, and we'll have a response. I'll be back with a couple of announcements, but let's pray first. Um, Father, over every person here, those watching online, whatever needs to be done. God, if there's a place that needs to go, you need to go to work in us, go to work in us. Destroy the works of the enemy. If if Wednesday comes along, Thursday comes along, and we know that it's coming, there's that moment where we need to step forward with light. We need to step forward with truth. God, I pray that that would be the case. Ready us for that as well. Thank you today, Father, that there's mercy upon mercy for us in Jesus. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited, this is the nature of mercy. But it's ours because of who you are and what you've done. Would you please now let us um, soak in it. Let us soak in it. Do your work here in us. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.